0: Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.
1: Welcome to Speaking Out for the Blind, I'm Brian McCallen. Before we start talking with today's guest, I have a special announcement to make. Out of sight, the Blind Voice Chat website is celebrating its 8th birthday with a totally accessible event. There will be interactive games, interviews with informative and interesting guests, cash giveaways, and opportunities to meet new friends around the globe. For more information, go to www.out-of-site.net. You may also email out-of-site member Roger Curry at roger at roger.ca. If you're having any accessibility issues with the site, you may email at d-e-b-i-b-l-a-c-k-a-z at gmail.com. Don't miss this fantastic event. Catch the vision. It's out of sight. Now back to today's Speaking Out for the Blind show. Today's show will have you talking around the water cooler tomorrow. We'll learn how a Seattle businessman donated over $100 million. According to Philanthropy News Digest, that money went to the Lighthouse for the blind and visually impaired. The Lighthouse is located in San Francisco, California. Lighthouse CEO Brian Bashan joins us to explain the much welcomed, yet unusual, and curious donation. He'll also talk about how the donation will provide an enormous impact in the Lighthouse's facility and level of services. Hi Brian.
0: Hi, Brian. It's uh, really a pleasure to join you.
1: Wow, both Brians. That's amazing. (laughs) Let's first learn a little bit about you as a successful businessman who happens to be blind. Why did you decide to become the CEO of The Lighthouse in San Francisco? And what's
0: your role and duties? When the then director of The Lighthouse for the Blind chose a different job in 2010, uh, it was the perfect timing for me. I applied and I found an institution at the Lighthouse which was 110 years old it had money it had a beloved staff it had the resources and the the ability to carry things off in a bigger way and it has been one wild ride ever since
1: One of our listeners Roger Williamson who lives in Cumberland Maryland and he's an instructor for blind and visually impaired adults over the age of 55 At blind industries and services of maryland he asks do the services the lighthouse provides include training to blind people and if the trainee has residual vision is the use of blindfolds a component of the training regiment
0: sure well most of the people that we serve have some vision absolutely just like every other blindness organization in the country And we offer a spectrum of solutions here. So it may start with, since we do a lot of older blind work, we may start with first a low vision optometric exam and assessment. We offer, in partnership with the UC Berkeley School of Optometry, low vision optometry right here in our building. So we want to make sure first and foremost that people's low vision is maximized In our store, we have lots of low vision gadgets, and they're better gadgets. They're the digital magnifiers and some of the later technology, and we wanna be sure people have that in their hands. But having said that, we also teach non-visual techniques. And when it comes to teaching the non-visual techniques, we find that if you can use learning shades, that's our term for them, it's not a lifestyle. It is a kind of learning amplifier. And when uh, somebody comes to our new immersion programs, we have them both in San Francisco now and in our camp retreat, they're explained like, you can try this with or without these learning shades, but give it a shot. You may learn quicker. You may learn deeper. We find that the learning sticks. So we don't force it on anyone and people have the perfect right to choose occlusion or not. But it's our experience that those who do use it learn quicker and learn better. So we offer that to people who want to accelerate their learning, yes.
1: Thank you again, Roger Williamson, for sending in your question. And thank you, listeners. Keep sending those questions to mcallen 3 at comcast.net when I post requests for those. Thanks again for listening and for your support. Now... I want to play the role of private investigator here, Brian, and talk to you about this mysterious grant that you in the Lighthouse recently got. NPR says that you read your email one day and you found this strange short note last year. The note said, quote, A businessman passed away. I think you might want to talk to us. End quote. Who was this businessman? And who was the us referred to in the note.
0: I'll start at the very beginning and say that over the years the lighthouse has had more than 60,000 individual donors and we get bequests every year. We get like many large organizations of the blind. We get several million dollar bequests each year. So getting a letter from an attorney saying that their client has died is not unusual, but this particular email was a little cryptic a little quiet and because it was from an individual we did not know i was curious to know what kind of business who was this fellow and what was the amount in question and that was the first things that went through my mind when we first were notified oh now almost two years ago
1: you found out it was mr sirkin mr donald sirkin this seattle insurance executive He never had any contact with the Lighthouse until that donation was made. Sirkin even kept his vision loss a secret and became increasingly isolated in his last years of life. Brian, why do you think Mr. Sirkin kept his vision loss a secret?
0: All of us know, if you've worked in the blind biz, that this is the overwhelming normal path for people who are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s people are shy about it people don't have a really positive model of disability and blindness most often so it would be more extraordinary if somebody don sirkin died at 86 somebody who was that old had a positive role and positive idea of blindness that would be unusual when i was in my 20s i also didn't want to advertise my vision loss I thought if I picked up a cane that people would see me differently, and I didn't really know capable blind people who were just living our lives using blind techniques. I'm sure that's true of Mr. Cirkin as well.
1: Well, can you tell us more about Zirkin's life, career, and how he made his fortunes?
0: Well, I've learned quite a bit. He was a remarkable man, kind of a quintessential American self-made man. He studied back east, did some work, a little bit working work in, at Columbia University on a graduate level and at Union College. And then after the war, he set out to find himself. And he did, in the course of just a couple of years, an amazing number of jobs. He was a ship hand on the Great Lakes ship. He was a chicken rancher. He was a copper miner. He did uh, some lumbering out in the Pacific Northwest. He was really a guy looking for the right fit. He landed in Seattle, and he started looking at what was available, and one of the things he knew was that contractors who wanted to bid on jobs for, say, a city, or a county, or a state, didn't really quite know where to look for the jobs, who needed a retaining wall built, or a pipe, or electrical work. And so he founded a magazine called Contractors Weekly, back in, I think, probably the late 50s or early 60s. And with the magazine, he got a readership of people. They published on a printing press at first on his kitchen table. And he and his wife built this business into a respectable business with many subscribers. And the entrepreneur that he was, he learned that there were other needs in the community. Builders needed to have insurance. Builders needed bonding. And so he eventually founded a company that operated in six states with more than 30,000 clients providing the bonding and insurance needs for contractors. And that CBIC was his business, and he dedicated his whole life to it. He worked morning, noon, and night for it. His employees loved him. He was sort of an exemplar of the driven 24-7 guy that just had the best interests of his employees and the company at heart. And all the interviews I conducted with his former associates, they all, all were a little bit in awe of how this diminutive, driven man was able to make so much for himself.
1: I also saw you featured in a KTVU Fox 2 news story about the mysterious donation. I'm referring to Fox 2 in San Francisco they reported that mr serkin would have benefited from the lighthouse's services as a client what lighthouse services do you think would have helped mr serkin enjoy his life rather than just staying isolated
0: okay well remember that i'm not a doctor mr serkin was not i don't think he's passed into actual blindness by the time he was eighty six he had some visual impairment he was thinking about blindness for some years at the end of his life sometime and this is very typical by the time a person is in their mid-80s i think the statistics are that a quarter of people will have visual impairment or legal blindness by the time you get to the mid-80s and older and so just like so many of the older blind in this country sometimes it's as simple as a low vision optometric exam sometimes it could be the liberation of a CTV or a magnifiers that are more than just the dime store magnifiers, the new ones that are digital, have good light sources and all of that. That's often what people, especially older blind, gravitate to in the beginning of their journey. Here at the Lighthouse, we have a whole spectrum of solutions. It's not a one size fit all agency, not Braille or even a white cane isn't always appropriate for all people. I would say, based upon what I know about Mr. Serkin entering phase of macular degeneration, a lot of these common optical solutions would help. You'd be surprised how many people just having a bold line pan or an accessible calendar makes a big difference
1: we got to talk more about this mysterious donation. Philanthropy News Digest says that the donation consisted of Mr. Serkin's private residence and nearly his entire estate. Serkin also left a quarter of a million dollars to his daughter and son. Serkin's daughter is suing the estate. If his daughter wins, she could receive an additional percentage of the estate that would have gone to the lighthouse. I was wondering if you could comment on the current status of this suit.
0: Well, I can tell you what the courts have said. Philanthropy I don't think mentioned that Anna Sirkin's contest of the remainder of the estate was thrown out of court in Washington, um, in October. That was thrown out on summary judgment. Of course she has a right to appeal. I am Uh, And the Lighthouse, of course, won't comment on the merits of her case at all. But I can say that because the probate period for the bequest came and went without a challenge, and because the monies were distributed, about 90% of Serkins Estate has already been transferred, those monies are not susceptible to any lawsuits or creditors or anybody else who might at this late date decide to sue the estate. Whoever wants the estate now is looking at a little bit of money held back for perhaps payment of his last year's taxes.
1: So KQED, the public TV and radio stations in San Francisco say that the Lighthouse has started this strategic planning process. You started to talk about that earlier to figure out how to effectively use the $125 million donation. I understand that one of the aspects of that process is to pay for the agency's brand new headquarters in San Francisco. Tell us more about the building and how it's going to just provide a major upgrade for the Lighthouse.
0: One thing I want to make clear is that our board of directors voted five months before we ever heard of Don Serkin to acquire a building, our new headquarters, and to start the process of designing and outfitting it And we, like any other organization, would pay for it with a mortgage over 20 or 30 years. How we would raise the money over 20 or 30 years, we knew that we had donors and bequests at a certain rate, and we assumed that in 20 or 30 years we'd be at least as successful as we were, and that over time, over 20 or 30 years, we would find the resources to pay for the new headquarters. What we didn't anticipate, was that we'd have that money in five months and so i want to just celebrate the audaciousness of our board to go ahead with this before we knew about circun it is a reflection of the fact that we're prospering here in san francisco we're doing a lot of stuff and we've run out of room in our current building which is essentially a converted garage built in 1906 so the kinds of things that we wish to do now that involve More space, more community gathering, more staying over, more confidentiality, all these things require a modern building. Part of the costs of this are, of course, we decided to go from two to three floors in the new building because of the additional resources. And so, you know, you might say that a third of the cost of our headquarter fit out is directly related to the... um, Don Serkin's bequest. I, I think I could say that for sure. What are we going to do there? Well, the first thing is we wanted a location that was supremely accessible on public transit. So we found a building whose front door was 15 steps away from the combined BART, which is rail, and Muni, which is San Francisco rail, stop. So you just leave the building and you're right there in the center of you're right on Market Street, which is the heaviest pedestrian street in the state of California, with the best transit and the best connectivity anywhere. That was priority one. Number two, we wanted space. We wanted a lot of space. So we're tripling the amount of space we have over what we have currently. And that's going to allow us to have many, many rooms for classrooms to teach braille, crafts, science, STEM, technology, an expanded blindness product store, and teaching kitchens, things that we don't have now. We have an assembly space that can accommodate almost 150 people together for conferences and workshops. What are
1: some of the upcoming services that the Lighthouse is going to offer clients? How can our listeners even apply for services we get lots of listeners around the world listening to speaking out for the blind and acb radio how can they even donate just overall how can they get involved
0: i think the best portal to accessing what we do at the lighthouse is a website and that's at www.lighthouse-sf like san francisco.org and there you can learn about many of the new classes and the new goings on. We welcome international participants in many of our programs. Let me just talk about what's going to come up in February, where we're offering space at our camp, in Enchanted Hills Camp, for various four-family sessions and many of the traditional camp sessions people have known and loved for 65 years. But we're adding things. In the spring, we're offering a chemistry camp for high school students who want to learn a little bit of non-visual techniques in which people can learn to succeed in, in STEM and chemistry. Later on in the summer, we're going to have a horse camp where people, this is not just riding around on a horse. This is for blind people who want to own a horse, care for a horse, be in charge of a horse. So our instructor, Diane Sterin, who is fully blind and has taken care of horses her entire life, is the instructor there that's been incredibly popular we're having a music academy and this is for people who want to go into the field of music as a profession so bill mccann the founder of dancing dots will be presenting to a group of blind students how to read music accessibly record it accessibly what are low vision techniques for reading music when you're standing at a music stand all these things we address with a cadre of six instructors, all of whom are musicians. If you want to be a counselor and you're blind and from another country, we want to hear from you. We've had counselors from Kyrgyzstan in Central Asia. We're looking at other counselors from other countries this upcoming season to give a blind and international flavor to the camp counseling effort. We also, if you want to learn culinary techniques, we have a program Where you could work in the camp kitchen as a blind person and learn how do you do a meal for 80 people and get it on the table in time that those are all things at camp we have a community services office here in san francisco and the many many new classes we'll be able to offer in a new building you'll be able to find there if you subscribe to some of our various lists that talk about that as well. It really is a rainbow of offerings, both at camp in San Francisco, and the future for the San Francisco Lighthouse couldn't be brighter.
1: Brian, the story that you gave on the Mysterious Donation is definitely very interesting, and we want the show to give some recognition to Mr. Serkin and his remarkable achievements and generosity. I know that you've encouraged our listeners to consider the services available to them at the Lighthouse and similar facilities in their local areas, promoting full and happy lives. And I know that you've inspired our listeners to use blindness-related services and live happy lives there, too. Thanks for joining us today.
0: It's been a pleasure. i be happy to come on and check back in a little while and talk to you about the new things we're building, especially with this infusion of support from the Cirkin Estate.
1: Yes, thank you, and definitely let me know when you're ready to do that. And before we go, listeners, I just want to tell you, if you want to learn more about the Lighthouse's services, go to lighthouse-sf.org, just a reminder, and I will also put this on the show website, speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com, and click on List of Episodes and Show News before we go, I always welcome your comments. Just visit and like me on Facebook at Speaking Out for the Blind. Follow me on Twitter at Speak out Blind or Speak Out for the Blind. You may also contact me at McAllen3 at Comcast.net. That's M-C-C-A-L-L-E-N the number three. That's all for this edition of Speaking Out for the Blind. Thanks for listening, and remember to speak out
3: The following public service announcement is presented by acbradio.org. Applications for NIB Fellowship now being accepted. National Industries for the Blind, NIB, is accepting applications for Fellowship for Leadership Development. Fellowship combines business focus on-the-job experience with professional development activity. If you're legally blind and have an undergraduate degree or higher, work experience, and a passion for business you're invited to apply for this salaried program. Fellows are selected based on experience, competence, academic achievement, motivation, references, and interviews. Successful fellows have landed managerial positions in the NIB network of associated nonprofit businesses as well as the broader business community. To apply for this fellowship, Go to www.nib.org and follow the links to Business Leaders Programs section.
2: Announcing the 2016-17 ACB Scholarship Program. The time for spreading the news has once again arrived. The online application for ACB scholarships is live. All students who are interested in participating in the 2016-17 ACB Scholarship Program can go to acb.org and fill out an application. Each applicant's information will be carefully evaluated and a response will be sent to every student who applies. All pertinent information, including eligibility requirements, submission dates, and necessary documentation can be found online. If you are a student or if you know a student who would like to apply, direct them to the website acb.org and to the scholarship heading. The amount of scholarship awards ranges from $1,500 to $3,500. Winners are urged to attend the ACB annual conference and convention to participate in a myriad of exciting and fulfilling activities designed to entertain, encourage, and enlighten. For further information, contact D. Fayon at 612-332-3242 or Michael Garrett, ACB Scholarship Chairman, Emmy Garrett, 4443, at sbcglobal.net.
3: You're listening to acbradio.org, connecting the blind community around the world. ACB Radio.